So Sebastian wants to know if it's a good idea to try to keep employees engaged in his business by making them part owner of the business. Hey there, everyone. It's uh, David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channels, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon podcast, where I talk about, you know, and Stitcher and all those other ones too, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. This week, I got a question from Sebastian. Let me read it to you. He says, I'm in the process of buying a certain kind of company. It's very specialized technically. I would love to hear from you about interesting some key employees who have the required knowledge to help run the company. I'm considering letting them invest with me as minority shareholders. Thank you. This is a great question because the idea of engaging or you know, somehow trying to tie employees into a business by making them part owner is something that actually comes up quite frequently in my regular conversations with people. And it's either because someone wants to solve a human resources problem, meaning that they want to ensure that somebody doesn't ever leave the company um, because they need them to help run the business, or so they believe at that moment in time. Or it's somebody who wants to initiate some kind of exit process So they bring on a manager of some kind, they make them a small shareholder with the idea that the person is going to buy more shares over the course of time and then maybe buy them out completely at one point. And that's the exit plan. And so we talk a lot about this. I've made a whole list on this topic because I didn't want to leave anything out. So one of the fabulous things about being the only owner of a small private company is that when you are the owner, it means that you're the only board member and you get to make all the decisions. So for example, if I want to go to a business meeting in a place that's several hours flight away, I can decide to go business class because I own the business and it's a business meeting. And so I can just choose the more expensive ticket. And there's no problem with that. There's no problem with tax authorities because it's a legitimate business trip. There's no problem with anything. What what it does do though, is number one, I get to enjoy the perks of being the owner of my business. I get to fly a business class. And number two, it reduces the profit of my business, which means my tax bill is reduced. Okay. So, and the tax people don't really care because that extra expense ended up becoming the income of the airline, which adds to their profit and then they pay tax over there. Right. So it's just, it moves from one place to the other. The tax people look at it more holistically, you know, what they're taking out of the economy. So that's great. You know, I get to do that. Um, If I start to have minority shareholders, um, those minority shareholders all of a sudden have an interest in the performance of the business. They may not like the fact that I've decided to fly business class. So interesting key point back in 2014, I wrote this book called Invest Local. And one of the things that I explain in the book is why you should not be a minority shareholder in a business. And these ideas that I'm talking about right now come out of this section. And we're basically looking at it for Sebastian from the other side of the table. So if we suddenly now have people that are interested in how the business is being managed, it hampers our ability as owners to be free to do whatever we want. This introduces a concept called governance. And governance is something typically for larger companies or for not-for-profits and you know, other types of organizations. We usually don't have to deal with governance issues in small businesses because ownership is so tight. 
you know, either an individual or maybe a married couple, for example. Um, my sister used to be a paralegal. And when she was working in a law firm, sometimes the, law, the lawyer she worked for would handle the purchase and sale of a business. And she would often be asked to update the minute book. And now in most jurisdictions, a corporation is required to have an annual general meeting where the shareholders gather to hear the reports of the executives and all that kind of stuff. And they have an agenda and they you know, table discussion and they decide on policies and goals of the company and all that kind of stuff. So you can imagine if you're a sole owner of a corporation, uh, you, those meetings just don't happen, right? And of course, you don't have minutes for those meetings either, but that's not in compliance with the law. So when sometimes when my sister was helping to work on these deals where a, a business was being sold, she would literally have to go to her computer and create 20 years worth of annual general meeting minute notes and fill the book with these, these meeting notes that basically said, David was in attendance, David reviewed the performance, David made decisions about the policies for the coming year, and David adjourned the meeting. And she'd have to make them for every year and change the dates and all that kind of stuff so that the book would be compliant with the standards required under legislation for running a company, right? And so um, once you start to have these other people, then the question becomes, well, who's on the board? And now we really do have to have an annual general meeting. And if David's wants to fly a business class because it's a four hour flight, well, then maybe that's okay. But we now we need to have a travel and entertainment policy so that we know what is allowed and what is not. If anyone has ever worked for a big company, then you're familiar with this kind of stuff. The reason why big companies have all these policies and things is because they have to have a set of rules to understand what the company will pay for and what it won't. And the shareholders are aware that these rules exist and they trust the board members to make sure that management is enforcing these policies so that the bottom line doesn't get shrunk by a bunch of people putting fancy parties on their expense cards, right? And so for a small business that wants to start to get into this kind of thing, you have to ask yourself the question, do I really want to open the door to having all of the issues, problems, and concerns of setting up a true governance system in my small business so that it avoids the interpersonal problems that could come from having these minority shareholders because now they're interested in how I run the business? That leads us to some other questions because once somebody becomes a shareholder in your corporation, then the question ha that we have to ask is what happens when things change and everything changes as time marches on. So if that person goes from being a highly, highly qualified, good worker to becoming a person who suffers from depression because they got divorced and now they're an alcoholic, what happens then, right? Um, what happens if that person meets somebody in another city and decides to quit their job and move to the other city and get married to a new spouse, right? If they're a shareholder, quitting their job doesn't mean that their ownership of shares disappears. You could, if it's not structured properly, end up with shareholders who own part of your business who don't work there anymore. Is that something that you want to face? I once had business dealings with a gentleman who was trying to sell a business who sought investment 10 years prior and somebody invested in his company, gave him money. He used the money to expand. It was a good business deal for him. He got to grow his business. It was a good business deal for the investor. They received dividends and payouts over time. 
and then they died. And now those shares are owned by the heirs of his investors. And he was trying to sell the business. They had some very different ideas about what they were due in the sale of a business than what he had. So he was in a bit of a conflict with them. I was trying to sell the business. And I realized we were at a point where the business may not be sellable because all the shareholders may not agree. And the shareholder agreement contained provisions which said there had to be a, uni a unanimity amongst the shareholders for the sale of the company, either in an asset or a share sale. And so I asked them, what are you going to do about these investors? How are you going to resolve this if we find a buyer? And his answer to that was, well, I'm going to invalidate their shares. And I said, okay, you're going to invalidate their shares. I think you just made the day of some lawyer here in town because it doesn't work that way. You, you, I can't unilaterally decide to remove property from another person, right? And owning shares of a private company is property. That's you own a piece of that company, you're a shareholder. So then what do we do, right? In some organizations, they will create these very complex apparatuses whereby you know, you're promised shares, but you don't quite get title to them until certain things have happened. We often call this a, a vesting arrangement where I promise to let you buy some shares or give you some shares at a certain price, but you only actually get your hands on them after so many years of service or something like that. And this is all meant to try and give some sort of trial period to make sure that these things are going to work out. I just said something there. You get to receive shares or buy shares. Here's the other interesting thing that sometimes happens is business owners will want their employees to be shareholders. And sometimes those employees are more than happy to receive shares in the company. But if you really want buy-in and you really want them to be invested, they should be buying those shares. And so it can be kind of disappointing, and I've seen this happen again too, where people have invited employees to become shareholders and those employees didn't want to buy shares, didn't want to invest, they didn't want to put money on the line. And this is one of the big things that business owners sometimes have trouble with. It's called projection. It's a psychological thing where you feel that if something is important to you, you assume that it's important to other people. And so as an entrepreneur and business owner, you believe that being a business owner is something valuable that other people would also appreciate. When in reality, the vast majority of people just want to sell their time. They want to have a job. They want to get a paycheck and, and they want to be done with it. They don't want to be further invested in that. And, and that's fine. But, you know, the world is made up of all kinds of different people. It can be disappointing though, when you're trying to offer something you think is going to be attractive to someone only later to find out that they're not interested at all. So, so what then is the alternative? How can we create a higher level of engagement with key employees that we want to retain without opening the door to the vast array of governance issues? And if you're enjoying the video, click thumbs up. It really helps me. What, what do we then do? Well, there's alternatives that we can do. So some of the easiest alternatives are something called shadow shares, where you create an artificial participation. So basically, you're giving people the right to a certain portion of the earnings of the business every year. Um, but when they leave your employment, that disappears. So they don't actually become the titled owner of any shares of the business. You just create this bonus structure 
which is all based around the idea or illusion of what they would get if they were a shareholder. Okay. So that's one kind of alternative. But the one that I like the most is so simple and easy. It's just create a bonus program that has something to do with the performance of the business. So that if everyone's doing their job really well and the business succeeds and the profits grow, that there's something shared back with those key employees and they can really see that you value them and that if they do their job well and they help to avoid waste in the business and you know treat the customers really well, that in addition to what they should earn for the time that they put in based on their education and experience, they're going to get that something extra, which really makes them feel like they're part of the team and that you value them. And this is why we see bonus programs or commission structures and all this kind of stuff everywhere. It's because it's simple and easy. And when the employee decides to move on to something else, there is, aren't these entanglements that can, that can tie us up and, and create problems and you still get to fly business class without anyone looking over your shoulder, which for a lot of business owners is, is really important. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the video. As I said, if you like it, click like. If you think that you one day wanna be a business owner, then you should start off by taking my course, Business Buyer Advantage. You can head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com and learn more about that. I take you through an entire case study of a business, show you how you find businesses for sale, how you make an offer, how you negotiate, how you value the business, how you set up the financing. And most importantly, a very clear understanding of all of the different risks that are associated with doing a deal. Because just buying a business isn't where it's at. You want to buy a, the right business under the right conditions, under the right terms for the right price. So that on day two, not only are you the business owner, but you're making money. And with that, I'll say see you later. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers.